0: I would say how to sell and how to craft a good pitch, because the difference between an idea that takes off and an idea that falls flat is the story that you're telling to capture the imagination of your intended audience. So a product or service without a good story behind it really is nothing. You know, it's no different from getting a job, right? The difference between getting the job and not getting the job is the story that you're telling.
1: Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. We put the spotlight on BIPOC beauty pros and their paths to success. We share their stories along with actionable tips that you can apply to your career or your life. We invite you to subscribe, rate, or review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share it with a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about building community through shared experiences and answering needs. I am so pleased to welcome Abigail Opaya, who is the co-founder of Unruly, a brand that addresses the needs of women of color and their hair on so many different levels. And we're going to talk about the ways in which they answer our needs today, how they got started, and where they're going next. Welcome, Abigail.
0: Thank you so much, Corinne, for having me.
1: I'm so excited to have you. And I've been admiring your brand from afar for some time. So it's great to get this chance to chat with you.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: So I want to start with just some fun questions. What was the first beauty product you ever purchased?
0: It would have to be a face powder by CoverGirl that I discovered at the local grocery store while in high school. My shade was Toasted Almond, and I was obsessed with it.
1: Wow. I'm glad they had your color. They had a shade for you. Now, what's the most recent beauty product you've tried?
0: I've been trying to wear more lipstick these days. So the last product that I tried was a nude lipstick shade from Mented Cosmetics. The color is Nude Lala. Nude Lala? Yep. Nude La La.
1: Oh, Nude La La. Oh, I like that. That's cute. Shout out to Menti Cosmetics, a brand developed to fill a gap in terms of makeup for women of color. And they do a wonderful job. So shout out to them. They do. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone?
0: That would definitely be to SPF during the day and moisturize at night before going to bed. Hands down. Your skin will thank you for it. Do you have a favorite SPF? Yes, I use Black Girl Sunscreen every day, all day.
1: Just what I put on this
0: morning. Okay.
1: (laughs) Let's get into the interview. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you?
0: I would say neither. It was uh, serendipity. I always had various career paths in mind, but working in beauty was never really one of them. Yeah, so we're going to get into how that came about. Let's
1: first talk about the career paths you did end up taking. What was your first job and how did you go about getting it?
0: So my first real job after college was working for a luxury real estate developer in South Florida. I landed it through a recruitment agency and I was there for about a year. And did you learn
1: anything there that set you up for success later?
0: Absolutely. A lot of what I did was assisting the project managers and architects with everything and anything needed to get their building project off the ground submitting permits building plans for approval with the city and i also did a lot of work with their pr and marketing teams and that's where i learned how to do things like building event lists identifying the movers and shakers in south florida that we would then invite to our launch event and open houses designing invites marketing collateral all skills that i still use now wonderful you eventually
1: focused on pr and marketing as your career what kind of jobs did you get in that area?
0: After leaving that job, I moved to New York to pursue something in advertising and PR. I hadn't really honed in on exactly what. You know, At one point, I was thinking more on the creative marketing side, graphic design. But just through trial and error, just through applying to lots and lots and lots and lots of jobs, I finally landed working at a boutique PR agency that focused on entertainment and lifestyle. And that's really how I got my start working specifically in the PR space. You
1: moved to New York
0: and you talked about landing a job
1: at a public relations firm. How did you ramp up your skills to working full-time in PR? Because there are lots of different parts of that business. How did you learn them all?
0: So when I landed in New York, I didn't really know much about PR per se. Obviously I had a background in marketing, but It was mostly in sales and events. And so when it came to working for this boutique entertainment and lifestyle agency in New York, I literally had to learn everything from scratch, but I was a very quick learner. It also helped that I was very, very good at writing. So that helped me when it came to writing press releases and pitches to get clients on shows and magazines and so forth. So it was very much an accelerated learning experience. I had to learn very quickly on my feet But yeah, it really did set the stage for me eventually going out on my own to consult independently as a publicist. And a lot of that was learned there.
1: (laughs) So when you became an independent PR consultant, what kinds of projects did you work on? I worked on
0: things spanning lots of different industries. So I worked with startups. I worked mostly with individuals, so public figures and entertainers. So for example, I worked with a chef. I worked with an interior designer at one point, a TV host, and then of course I worked on lifestyle brands. So anything in the lifestyle space, luxury space, nightlife space, you name it, I've done it all.
1: <laughs> so then you were able to use those skills as you started to work with your sister.
0: Absolutely. I had the foundational skills needed to, again, going back to the whole storytelling aspect of it, you know, to really craft the story. It was me that got the press out there for you can touch my hair. I was the one that got the initial excitement and buzz going when we launched um, our mobile hairstyling service. And so it was very, very critical in my success as an entrepreneur to have those skills. Did you ever think about entrepreneurship when you were doing these jobs? I did. I always knew that I wanted to go into business for myself at some point, but I had a lot of interest, as mentioned earlier, and I could never really focus in on what the actual business would be. At one point, I was looking more towards having my own restaurant. Then at one point, it changed over to interior design. And then I started thinking about making logos for people and doing (laughs) graphic design. So the thought and the idea was always there. I just never knew how to manifest it.
1: How did the idea from Unruly come about? Did you or Antonia come up with the idea and one of them you had to convince the other?
0: Yes. So over the years, we've kind of just naturally worked together. I was always just roped into anything like any get rich quick scheme that she had. When we were younger, for example, as kids, we used to do babysitting jobs together. And I think we even tried setting up our own babysitter's club. And then also before Unruly, my sister had, you know, an online film festival called Beneath the Earth. And I naturally fell into that, working with her on the publicity. So when Unruly came about, my sister at the time, this is in 2013 when the natural hair movement had just started, the second wave of the natural hair movement. And so my sister wanted to create something that she wished existed. She wanted to create a website or online resource for natural hair. Maybe some did exist at the time, but they didn't do a very good job of communicating what she wanted to see out there. So she essentially created what she wished existed. And As with everything, I was kind of roped into helping her with that.
1: Great. So she was the engine. And then you guys just kind of put it together and took off. What came first, your media company or you can touch my hair? Like I would call it performance art slash exhibit in New York.
0: Right, exactly. Like I mentioned, 2013, we launched Unruly, and You Can Touch My Hair was actually the very first thing that we did right out the gate, and that put us on the map. It was inspired by an essay that my sister wrote for the Huffington Post. And then, of course, we staged the exhibit and then also created a short film documenting the events of those exhibits.
1: For those who are unaware, which I don't think there are many, could you just explain briefly what went into this? performance slash exhibit?
0: So it was supposed to be kind of like a commentary on the types of things that my sister and I both felt and saw in our own lives, working in corporate America with natural hair and having people other you in the workplace or come up and touch your hair without asking. And so she put all of those experiences into a personal essay that she wrote. And the exhibit that came out of it was supposed to be kind of like, I guess you can say a hyperbole of what we go through in everyday life. It was really supposed to be a way for us to get the other side's opinion and create a dialogue, I should say, on this particular topic. But I guess we were very naive and didn't know how it was going to end up panning out and the type of responses it would get from our people, black women, that came out the next day. It was a two day exhibit. So on the first day, we staged the initial exhibit. And then the second day, we had a lot of people find out about it through social media And they came out the next day to voice their side of things and, I guess, essentially protest what we were doing. But the ultimate goal was to create a dialogue and to let people know it's not right to other Black women and reach out and touch their hair without even asking. Well, Black people in general have been in America for over 400 years, but yet we still feel othered in some way, shape or form. So it was kind of like a way for us to speak about it and to create a dialogue around it. And I guess we succeeded in doing just that. Yes, you did. Because if people are still talking about
1: it today, which we're talking about it now, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes for the listeners who have not had an opportunity to see this, as well as links to the site, particularly to the exhibit, so that people understand what we're talking about, especially in context of now, because really, you were ahead of your time in terms of creating this dialogue because this dialogue is ongoing, it has been ongoing, but the way in which you created that dialogue is really starting to come into the space now. Wouldn't you say?
0: I agree. And at the time, it was really just a statement, a way of telling people that have stolen a touch from somebody, you know, how it makes us feel, like an object put on display. A lot of people likened it to that of Sarah Bartman. The woman that was put on display in colonial Africa because of the way she was shaped and taught Venus is what they called her, or maybe even Otabenga that was put in a cage as like a caged animal at a zoo. We drew a lot of criticism for it, but ultimately we were saying the same things. We were trying to basically communicate the same point. We just did it in a different way that elicited a huge response from people.
1: Visceral responses.
0: Visceral. That's the word. Definitely. Let's talk about the unruly
1: media and how did you build the site and community from there?
0: Staging this exhibit and creating the film did put us on the map. And so we just kind of rolled in it from there. And we just started to build, build, build and grow, grow, grow. And we started to notice that our main superpower, so to speak, was creating these huge conversation marketing pieces. And so from You Can Touch My Hair, we then launched Pretty. This is basically a love letter from one woman to the next in different countries, and just kind of like traveling to different countries in Europe, talking about what culture is, what pretty is around the world. And then from there, we've done other things to basically just continue this conversation forward. And I think that's one thing that we've done very well over the years. So for many years, we were doing just that. And that's how we grew our readership. And that's how we grew our community. So
1: on the site, you can find, you know, for those who have never been on Unruly site, which we'll link, of course, you find lots of kind of varied opinions and not only information on caring for your hair, but opinion pieces, lots of beautiful images. So it is a destination in a lot of ways. And how hard or easy is it to keep the focus on natural hair?
0: I used to always wonder about that, too. Like, how much can we talk about natural hair or just hair in general without getting bored of it? But there's always new things that are coming out, new techniques, new styles that keep us in business, so to speak. You know, we're always talking about a new way to care for your hair, a new type of shampoo and so forth. You know, I like to always think about ourselves as an in and out beauty brand as well. So on the surface, we're doing all of that stuff. Right. What kind of shampoo should you buy? What kind of hairstyle should you go with next? But on the deeper level, we are talking about some of these things that help move the community forward.
1: Yeah, that's important, I think. And I love that you continue to evolve as issues related to natural hair evolve. Right, exactly. Let's talk about working with your sister. As you mentioned, she's always roped you into things. You've always kind of naturally gravitated toward each other. But on this particular business, which has lots of different arms, so to speak, I know that you guys are in different cities how do you divide responsibility?
0: Yeah, I'm extremely lucky that my sister and I are very close. So it's a lot of fun working with my sister. We laugh and joke so much that it doesn't even feel like work. However, we do bicker a lot, but that's always just because it's just harmless bickering as sisters do. And in terms of how we split the work, she mainly works on the media side of things, unruly, and she handles our financials, our performance marketing, I work on the e-commerce side of things, so handling the day-to-day of our hairstyling service, recruiting stylists, media relations, and then now that we're launching our braiding hair, I'm now focused on that as well. Let's talk about the areas that
1: you work on particularly. What was the impetus for starting the mobile styling services?
0: Yeah, so by 2016, we were ready to expand our brand and to see if we could actually sell something to the audience that we had built over the years. At the same time, we wanted to create something that actually solved the problem. We try to base all the things that we do in solving problems for people. And so that's how Yoluchi came about. We first imagined it as a mobile wash and go service, but that soon changed because we involved it to include protective style. We didn't want to launch with something and then have to like take the time to iterate it. I had the foresight to see that people were getting braids. And so it wasn't enough to just offer the wash and go service. We now also need to start thinking about what kind of braiding services could we be doing in home for women that didn't want to go to the salon to do it or couldn't find someone to do it.
1: How did you recruit your stylists?
0: In the beginning, it was really difficult. We had no background in running a salon, let alone a mobile hair salon. My sister and I were not stylists by trade. We're creative marketers. <laughs> so we had to do a lot of trial and error, posting on job boards, reaching out to people directly, LinkedIn, all sorts of things. And, you know, we got Yoluchi up and running in about 90 days with very, very little capital and just two stylists in the New York market. And so if only we knew then what we know now, it was really naive of us to launch so quickly, but I'm glad that we did it because with things like this, is either you just kind of like jump and then you either sink or swim. And thank God we've been able to swim for all these years. Let's talk about
1: the way current events have impacted you, When people weren't having anyone in their homes, what did you do? How did you stay afloat with that part of the business?
0: Yes. So for the two months that New York city and I guess, Our other markets were under restrictions. It was pretty rough on our stylists. So we decided to shift our marketing budget and use it to cover their lost earnings during that time. But once restrictions were lifted, the floodgates basically just opened. And we saw a huge uptick in bookings and people looking specifically for stylists that provide in-home services. And now I feel like things are like they were pre-pandemic, with the exception of now having to be super diligent, of course, with COVID guidelines that we've implemented for both stylists and clients.
1: That's great. You mentioned your e-commerce that you're moving into selling braiding hair. What sparked that decision? I mean, it seems like a natural progression of the business, but...
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, we like to ground everything that we do in solving problems for people. And day in and day out running Yaluchi, the number one question that I always get after someone books an appointment is, how much hair do I need to buy? for this style or what kind of hair do I need to buy for this style? So, of course, my wheels start turning and I said to myself, okay, well, let's create a new way of shopping for hair that just takes the guesswork out of it. So I created this pre-bundled braiding hair that people can purchase by simply clicking on the style. So basically, it's like a shop by style experience for the client. And it basically closes the gap on our user experience. So now as they're booking, they're able to now shop for hair as well that they need to get their style done. So it kind of works out really well.
1: Are you offering a variety of hair colors?
0: At this time, no. We're only offering the natural black, off black hair colors. We're still kind of beta testing all of this stuff right now, so we want to just see how well we do with what we have and then eventually we will roll out lots of different colors and options for sure. I love this idea though because
1: you used to see my house. I have like bins Not large bins, but still plastic bins filled with extra hair from this color, extra hair from this style. I'm always overbuying as opposed to underbuying.
0: Which is good because you never want to run out of hair during your appointment, which is the other problem that we're trying to solve is that like someone would buy only four packs of hair, but then it turns out they needed six packs of hair. And so that's another problem that we're trying to solve, especially if you're getting your hair done at home. You can't just easily just get up and go to the beauty supply store and keep your stylist waiting. Right, (laughs) So that's not a good look. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about this latest project that
1: you did in partnership with L'Oreal, Pretty Shouldn't Hurt. How did that project come about?
0: Pretty Shouldn't Hurt was inspired by my sister's interaction with a Yabuchi client several years ago, which led us to come up with the idea to shine a light on how improper hairstyling techniques in the industry has led to a rise of traction alopecia in Black women. You it's interesting because we are in the business of providing natural hairstyles. And I saw it as an opportunity to do some sort of like corporate responsibility and put this out. We connected with L'Oreal in about late 2019, which was serendipitous. There's that word again. <laughs> well, they were gearing up to launch their line of products for protective hairstyles. So it kind of just really made sense. And so we pitched them the idea for the film and then they agreed to come on board.
1: Wonderful. So for people who haven't seen this film, tell us a little bit about it because we would love people to watch the film.
0: Yeah, of course. We all know how it is getting your hair done in braids. Sometimes people take an Advil afterwards because it's just too tight and they grow up thinking that that tightness is okay. Or sometimes they're afraid to speak up because They'll just be kind of like dismissed as being tenderheaded. But in our research, it turns out there really is no such thing as being tenderheaded. If your hair hurts after you get your hair done, it's because it's been done too tightly. So yeah, we wanted to bring a bunch of experts together to discuss how best to do protective hairstyling. So we had someone from the L'Oreal team. We had experts that we had worked with in the past, Dr. Carrie Williams, Anu Prestonia, OG in the natural hairstyling game. We brought them all together to just to discuss the evolution of Black hair in general. And then also now the prevalence of protective hairstyle is is here to stay. How can we now, moving into the future, do it in a way where we're protecting our hairlines, essentially?
1: And, you know, loved all the work over the decades that Anu did at Comic Kinks.
0: Yes. Amen.
1: <laughs> the subject matter is so important because everyone who has ever had a protective hairstyle or thought about one thinks about the pain.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: What was the response to that as opposed to you can touch my hair? Two very different projects.
0: Two very different projects. Yeah. The response to that generally speaking was overwhelmingly positive. We have lots of really great comments on the YouTube page for it. And it's so interesting Not to pit one against the other, but like with You Can Touch My Hair, we had, it's easy to elicit a response from someone when it's a very controversial topic versus something like this, where it's, you know, about care and moving things forward. But nonetheless, apples and oranges, basically, I'm comparing. But the response, generally speaking, was very positive. People were like, oh my God, thank God you guys did this. This is so great. Like I've been talking about this for years with my friend. And then the tips that we added in the film were very helpful for people. And of course, recently we won an award for the film, which was the crowning moment, I guess, for this whole project. So we're just glad that the message is getting out there one way or the other. Right.
1: Are you working on more projects like this? I mean, I think you might be one of the only media companies that uses all forms to communicate with your audience.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We are working on a lot of different projects. We basically have like a huge pitch deck, an idea pitch deck of a bunch of different ideas that we want to either do on our own or do in collaboration with brands. And so whenever these opportunities come about, whenever we reach out to certain brands, we have a huge arsenal of ideas that we can pitch any one of them that makes sense for their audience and also makes sense for our audience. We have something actually in the works now with Gerber, which is not in the beauty category whatsoever. But we were able to figure out some sort of a really cool idea that we're putting together with another media partner to help bring to life. So that's something that we'll be sharing more about later on this year. Outside of that, I'm interested in really growing the video content side of things. And I'm also even playing around with some scripted type stuff as well that we'd like to eventually explore And more importantly, I want to shine the light, ever the publicist, (laughs) I want to shine the light on my sister and I in particular, and really try and start telling our story or just even letting people know who we are. I feel like we've been hidden away a lot over the years, just working and grinding on the business. But I think it's about time that people start to know us as individuals and that we're out there more talking about our projects and the things that we're doing and just what it's like working together as sisters and co-founders.
1: Yeah, and this podcast is a good way to start.
0: Yes, there you go. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I love it.
1: (laughs) What do you think the unsung skill is or one of the unsung skills you need is to be an entrepreneur?
0: I think there are actually two. So number one, being resourceful and just being able to figure it out, whatever it is, just having that skill of being able to figure it out is huge. And then number two, I would say how to sell and how to craft a good pitch. Because the difference between an idea that takes off and an idea that falls flat is the story that you're telling to capture the imagination of your intended audience. So a product or a service without a good story behind it really is nothing. You know, it's no different from getting a job, right? The difference between getting the job and not getting the job is the story that you're telling. So those two skills for sure are huge.
1: That second one, boy. Whew. People need classes on, well, I guess when you're in an accelerator, you do get classes on it, but it's still a muscle that needs to be built and honed and strengthened over time because your story evolves and you have to be able to articulate it quickly Yep, and more in depth in others. Right. So it's not even just your 30 second elevator pitch. That's one thing. But what could you say over 20, 30 minutes to keep someone engaged? And what can you say over three minutes? Because three minutes is a long time when you don't know what you're talking about.
0: Right. It goes by very slow too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. Yep.
1: What do you think the biggest challenge is being an entrepreneur?
0: Well, right at this very moment, because we are just a team of two, I'd say that The biggest challenge is juggling everything on our plate. Like you mentioned, we have so many different things, doing different arms and extensions of our brand. So it's really just been developing the skill of prioritization and prioritizing our tasks and letting whatever we can not do today fall to the ground and pick it up again tomorrow. So I think honing in on the most important things that will actually move the needle on our business has been the biggest challenge, because again, it's just my sister and I, hopefully in the future if that changes, because we have more resources and more team members, it won't be so much of a challenge, but for now that's basically what we're facing.
1: Yeah. And I call it shiny penny syndrome. Like when you get distracted by something that's really, really great and looks really nice, but it has nothing to do with driving your business forward.
0: Right. Exactly. Like they always say movement doesn't always mean progress.
1: Yeah. What's next for you and Antonia in terms of the business?
0: So right now we're actually doing a little bit of rebranding, as I mentioned before, and we will be unveiling a new creative refresh across all three platforms later this year. We're also rolling out new hairstyles. We're, like I mentioned, producing new content. And of course, we'll be officially launching our hairline just in time for the busy summer season. Yeah, that's a lot
1: of things for the two of you. Yeah, but we got it under control. Yeah, I
0: see that though.
1: Because I would have never thought it was just the two of you because of all the things that you do. But you guys do it well. I want to move into the final section of the interview. Can you give our listeners five tips on either working with someone you know, a family member, like you do with a sibling, or a friend? Would you have a personal relationship? What are the best ways to set up and do business with someone you know?
0: Okay. So tip number one would be know when she's your sister and know when she's your business partner. In my case, right? Sometimes it's really important to make that delineation. We work with a business coach, for example, and she mentioned that one way to make that separation is to talk to her or address her by her full name versus her nickname or talk to her in... A more professional tone versus just like as your sister so i think that's tip number one (laughs) and it's very helpful actually tip number two would be to create and respect boundaries sometimes when you're really close to someone it's easy to overlook that but it's also very necessary my tips for number three four and five are to learn how to communicate and speak to them in their language so it's really important to make sure that you're on the same page especially when it comes to making big business decisions because a lot can be at stake. I always say that the furthest distance between two people is misunderstanding. So it's really, really important to learn the art of communication, but more importantly, catering that communication to speak directly to that person and basically appealing to their senses and what makes them really listen. (laughs) That's huge.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. Now you dropped a little gem in these tips about working with a business coach. Why is it important to realize that you might need help?
0: I'm very big on aphorisms. And one that spoke to me very early on in my career is if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll think its whole life that is stupid. So for me, figuring out the skills that I needed to learn to bridge the gap of what I know and what I don't know was very huge for me. And really just honing in on my superpower. Figuring out how to bring out the best in myself in terms of my performance, you know, a lot of people now that are starting businesses. And if I went to business school, they don't have experience doing business, and there's a lot that people don't realize that they don't know. And so, identifying that and knowing that you need help, bringing somebody in to help you with that and work through all of that, is really, really helpful. And I find working with my business coach extremely helpful because it's uncovered a lot about myself I didn't know. That is such invaluable
1: advice because. You are absolutely right that there are lots of people coming out of Harvard Business School starting projects, but there are also lots of people who are just in their kitchen whipping up product or stumbling on a solution in their everyday life than launch businesses. So understanding that it's okay not to have all the answers and to get support is critical. Absolutely. Well, I cannot thank you enough, Abigail for joining me today and giving us a little behind the scenes, not only on your personal journey, but on the building of Unruly, because it is an amazing business that serves so many and a necessary business.
0: Thank you so much. I do really appreciate the opportunity and I hope to do more of these types of things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can you tell us the best ways for our listeners to interact with Unruly. Give us social media handles, website, et cetera.
0: Okay, great. Ruly.com is where you can go to find anything and everything you need to know about hair, hair styling. Yaluchi.com is where you can go to book one of our stylists. And then we can also access our shop from that page as well. Our social media handle across all platforms is Hair Unruled. However, for Yoluchi the handle for that is we are Yalucci, And that's pretty much where you can find us across all social channels and online.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to put links to all of this in the show notes so that you'll be able to connect directly with them. Great. So thanks again, Abigail. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thanks for listening to the Start Right Here podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, or review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share it with a friend. Remember, there is more than one way to the top, but all that is required is for you to take the first step. So we invite you to start right here. Remember to check out our newsletter, The Last Word from Start Right Here. On it, we offer additional information on taking a seat at the table or building one when it comes to beauty and inclusion. You can go to thebeautytable.substack.com or check the link in the show notes.